Thank you, guys. If you have your Bibles, turn back, please, to that passage that uh, Paul read to us, uh, Isaiah 25, 26. It's a large chunk and uh, be a slightly different approach this evening. Let me begin by asking you a question. And the question is this, how do you know you are trusting the Lord? There's an old song that we used to sing through all the changing scenes of life in trouble and in joy, and that's life in this world. There is trouble and there's joy, and they're not necessarily um, spread around equally. It's just some have loads of trouble, some have loads of joy, but in trouble and in joy, how do you know in everyday life that you are genuinely, deeply trusting the Lord? What does that look like in practical terms? Because it's easy to say, I trust you, Lord, and be consumed with anxiety and not be trusting the Lord. So how do you really know that you're trusting the Lord? What we have in Isaiah 25, 26 is um, some songs that Isaiah sings and records. He has recorded them. And the, uh, you'll find the answer to my question recorded in those songs that Isaiah sings. And the two answers that the way you know that you are genuinely trusting the Lord is that these two things will be true in your life in varying degrees, reasonable praise and radical peace. Reasonable praise and radical peace are the marks of a true believer who is trusting in the Lord. And therefore, by extension, they're the marks of a congregation of God's people who are truly trusting the Lord. Reasonable praise... Doesn't sound very exciting, does it? But it is. I get that from the word for. You'll see on the text behind me. I guess that's my text for this evening. Isaiah 25, 1. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise you. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. And we see there are five reasons or at least five wonderful things that inspire Isaiah, and by extension every true believer, to exalt and praise the name of the Lord our God. Do not read, do not hear me when I say reasonable praise means flat and boring. It does not, it should not. Praise should be passionate and increasingly passionate the longer we go on with the Lord. But it is based on reasons. The Christian faith at its heart is a reasonable faith. We have every reason to praise God. So it isn't some mystical you know, dream that popped into my head. It's actual historically based realities that are acts of God, wonderful things that God planned to do and did do that are the cause and source of our praise. Radical peace 
I take that from verse 26, chapter 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Radical peace in that, in the context of the reality that we'll come to in 26, it makes no sense, humanly speaking, that people would be enjoying the peace of God that passes all understanding. But they are. Despite what's going on in their lives, despite what is going on in the world around them, despite what is going on in their families, they are enjoying and experiencing perfect peace. But sometimes, as we'll see, you and I have to fight hard to keep that peace. There is a battle. This song of praise is rooted and grounded in God's wonderful salvation. We get that from 25 verse 9. And the wonderful things that we see in that Isaiah records in 25.1, that phrase wonderful, he's already used, that word wonderful he's already used in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, giving the names that are to be ascribed to the promised Messiah who is to come. you Wonderful counselor. So, this is talking about what Jesus is going to, has done, is doing, and will do the wonderful things that the wonderful counselor does, things that were been planned long ago, in order to bring to completion his full salvation. And that's what we see here. Now, let me just say one other thing by way of waggling on the tea of introduction. <coughs> We see two songs, or we hear two songs, in this passage. One song which lasts forever, and one song which will be silenced, which is why I've put in yellow above and on the text on the screen behind me. The song of the redeemed will be sung. 26.1, in that day this song will be heard. And in a real sense, the redeemed of the Lord are singing, and their song will only get louder and louder and fill the cosmos. But the song of the ruthless, 26.5, will be silenced. And do, not we, do we not hear every day the song of the ruthless? <laughs> I, used, I once had a boss who could strut sitting down. So proud of himself and so, so welcome to share how wonderful he was with anyone who had the time and patience to put up with his boasting and bragging. But do we not live in a world that is just full of the song of the ruthless? How great we are. And that's going to be silenced. The context of this passage which we've been thinking about over the past few weeks, and, and really the overarching theme that Isaiah brings out in these uh, chapters, is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king, and he's reigning and ruling over everything. And we see in the prophecies all the burdens upon the nations, and certain nations are highlighted and selected. Babylon, Moab, we saw last week... <coughs> I uh, uh, can't remember the name. What was it? Tyre. Tyre. 
That's correct, thank you. All of these things are God's promises and prophecies of his judgment that he's bringing on the earth. And if you flick back, we're not going to look at 24, but the context in which this song of praise, these songs of praise are sung, the backdrop is the Lord's devastation. Chapter 24, verse 1, see, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. And chapter 24 is God coming in judgment and the earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. So in the context of this earth-destroying earth judgment, what we hear is the faithful believing people of God are singing praise to him and experiencing his peace through all the changing scenes of life because they trust in him. What I want to do this evening (coughs) is look at the five wonderful things. You've got to do some arrangement. You've got to actually, because there's so many wonderful things in here, we could be here all night. But I've just sort of broke them down into five. So this is a five-point sermon. It's not like five points of Calvary. It's a five-point sermon, not a three-pointer, okay? So you get, you get two for free, okay? So let's walk through this chapter. We won't have two, these two chapters. We won't be able, I want to do a deep dive into two areas. But what I want you to do is see that there are, there are, there are recurring themes here. It's, and it's fine, we do sing, sometimes we sing bridges and choruses to, to repeat. That's to make the point. And we see the same thing in this song that Isaiah wrote and it wants to teach us to sing. So let's ask God's help. Father, <clears throat> we want to be a people who genuinely, deeply praise you and experience your peace through all the changing scenes of life. So please minister to us now by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, chapter 25, verses 2 and 5, the first thing I want that you will see is we, one of the first reasons is that we are able to praise him, one of the wonderful things that he does and is doing, you will silence the ruthless and be our refuge in the storm. Notice the phrase, you have, indicating in chapter 25, verse 2, you have made the city a heap of rubble. Verse 4, you have been a refuge for the poor. You you have is past tense. It indicates that which he has already done. We see recurring themes throughout the Bible. And the recurring themes that we see throughout the Bible are telling us this is what God always does. This is how he does it. And this is pointing towards an ultimate reality of things he will do at the end. So the, you, you will silence the ruthless and be a refuge in the storm. When he says you have, there are many occasions in the Bible where we see that God has done that in the past. Egypt is the classic example in the exodus of God's people from Egypt. He rained down his judgment on Egypt, kept his people safe through the judgment and brought them out through the judgment because they sheltered under what? The blood of the Passover lamb. 
God did not pass through his people in judgment. He passed through Egypt in judgment, but he passed over his people because they sheltered under the blood. And that's a lovely picture there, because as he made the city a heap of rubble, he was also being a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. Why? For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against the wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, and the song of the ruth and so the song of the ruthless is stilled. We notice that the Lord does things in this process. In his destruction of the city, and the city, verse 2, and the cities, plural, verse 3, of the ruthless nations, our King, the Lord Jesus, achieves everything he planned to do. He obtains the reverence and honour from strong peoples, verse 3. And all the Egyptians were in awe and reverence of Moses as God's judgment came down upon them. And it's interesting, is it not, that it wasn't just the Israelites who got out of Egypt that night. Many Egyptians tagged along because they saw who the Lord was. He provided refuge and shelter for the poor and needy, verses 4 and 5, and he silenced the uproar of the songs of the ruthless. As I say, that's a recurring theme of God keeping his people safe through his acts of judgment. Noah's ark. They were safe in the ark and while the judgment of God fell. And they landed on a new shore in a new earth because they sheltered and they took refuge in the ark, which is a picture of Christ. No wonder when Moses was taking shelter in the rock and God caused his glory to pass by, which is a picture of what he was doing, keeping his people safe in the rock. No wonder that gave rise to the song, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. The second reason that we are given to praise the Lord, <clears throat> and this is where I want to do a slight, a deeper dive, you will save all your people for the best and from the worst. Look at ver uh, 25, 6 through 9. Let me just read verse 9. That's a conclusion. That's a conclusion of this song, this stanza. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Let me just show you who the Lord saves. Now Isaiah identifies three categories of people that he saves. All peoples, verses 6, verses 7, all peoples. That means all ethnic groups. And that's what we see fulfilled in the book of Revelation. People from every tribe, nation, kindred and tongue. In other words, every ethnic group on the face of planet Earth will experience God's salvation. Not every human being will be saved, but every they'll be represented from every ethnic group on the face of the planet. All peoples, all nations, verse 7, political entities, that means. Or there will be representatives, not just from every ethnic group, but representative from every nations. All faces, verse 8, that's individuals. 
It shows the, the intricacy and the intimacy of God's care for us. Now look at what we're saved for and what we're saved from. We are saved for the best. We are saved on verse 6, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. This is picture language of what is to come. When the children of Israel were brought out of slavery and worshipped the Lord on this mountain, not only Moses and Aaron, but the elders of the tribes of Israel were taken up, were allowed to go up on the mountain and have a fellowship meal with God. That was only a few of the representatives of the, of, of the saved people of God were able to eat in God's presence and not be consumed. But there's coming a day when all of God's people will sit down at a table called the wedding supper of the Lamb and we'll, be, we'll see him face to face and we'll enjoy what he has prepared. The, on this mountain, who? The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. That's picture language to describe that the, what we are saved for the best. And I can't begin to conceive of what that is like. We're told in 1, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, we can't comprehend of how good that is. Even the, the, the wonderful language of the book of Revelation is baby speak, because that's all we can cope with. We don't have the capacity to comprehend how good it will be. So it's going to be good. The best is genuinely yet to come. We're saved for the best. But we're also saved from the worst. Verse 7. The enemy we all dread on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. And he defines what that shroud is, what that sheet is, is death. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. We're all scared of death, aren't we? I don't care how long you've been a Christian. When you get a diagnosis that it's terminal, it's, trauma it's traumatic. It is. And that's right. But he's going to destroy that. <laughs> he's going to take it out. Death entered the world through sin. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And, and, the, and the Bible personifies death as the most vile alien predator to invade the human race. It is a vile, in, forever hungry monster that is tracking every one of us down. And he's going to destroy it. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. 
No wonder when Jesus approached Lazarus' tomb, it says he experienced the most deep emotions. He not only wept at the tomb of Lazarus, he bellowed with rage in the teeth of death. That's why he brought Lazarus out of the grave. And he went into the grave and destroyed death from the inside out. He took it on, our worst enemy, the enemy we all dread, he took it on single-handedly and destroyed it. How do we know? Because he rose from the dead. So he's going to save us from the worst of our enemies, the enemy we all dread. He's going to save us from the tears we all now cry. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. We all know what it is to cry, don't we? But the Lord is going to wipe away all of the tears we now cry. And he's going to take away the reasons we cry. There'll be no reason to cry in heaven. And he's going to take away the disgrace we all feel. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Why do we feel disgrace? There are two reasons why we feel disgrace. We feel disgrace, if there's anything of the Spirit of God in a work in our lives, we feel disgrace for the sins that we have done. And we feel disgrace and shame for the sinful things done to us. Victims of abuse feel shame. And shame does not live in the courtroom. Shame lives in the community. They feel ashamed by what has happened to them. They feel disgrace. And sometimes they're broken by it. And and sometimes they carry it with them to the grave. And Jesus, we're told, on the cross, despised the shame. He despised it and he destroyed it and he, ta- and he will take it away from his people, he will remove his people's disgrace from the earth, how do we know the Lord has spoken the song we will then sing in that day, they will say, surely this is our God, we trusted in him and he saved us, this is the Lord, we trusted in him, let us rejoice And be glad in his salvation. And then we return, notice to the theme, verses 10 to 11, 10 to 12. You will keep us safe as you bring down human pride. That's again a repeat of the theme that we've already seen. The hand of the Lord is on his people who he keeps safe on Mount Zion. And we understand from Hebrews chapter 10, sorry, this mountain is Mount Zion. We have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. We have come now to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. 
The hand of the Lord is resting on this mountain, so we kept safe by the hand of the Lord. But the foot of the Lord is trampling on all human pride, which is symbolized by Moab in their proud efforts of DIY salvation, which is pictured humorously as, sit, as swimmers. But Moab will be trampled in their land as straw is trampled in the manure. Just imagine that picture. It's a graphic picture, gross picture. They, but Moab will be trampled in their land as straw is trampled down in the manure, and they are going to try and swim out of it. Verse 11, they will stretch out their hands in it as swimmers stretch out their hands to swim. That's a gross picture. I've got to get out of this manure. I better start swimming <laughs> because I can get myself out of this mess. I can do it. I can fix it. I can control this. I, I, I know you say I've got a problem with this, but you know what? I, I, can, I can do this. I can, I can fix this. DIY salvation is like swimming in the manure that God's treading down in, with straw on it. It's never going to happen. and He's going to just destroy human pride. And again, this is a recurring refrain. He provides security in the storm. And we need to be reminded that whatever happens, and God is at work doing this, he's going to keep his people safe. And then we move to chapter 26. Let me just say something again as a sort of a secondary introduction. So buy one, get one free. <clears throat> what we find in chapter 26, and we haven't got time to go through all of it, you'll be pleased to know. In chapter 25, we have objective truth. In chapter 26, it's more subjective experience. And those two things are part of the Christian life and Christian experience. We have historical realities that we can look at and see happened, but then there's also Christian experience. What does that feel like? We have reasons to praise God objectively, but in order to praise him objectively, we need to have an emotional stability in our lives to be able to do that. And that's what chapter 26 is all about. I want to focus primarily on the first four verses. Look at those again. In that day, <clears throat> this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. Verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. It's that verse 3 that I just wanted to focus on. And, and we will touch on a few of the other verses by way of um, explana explanation. I remember years ago going to see <coughs> uh, our former pastor before Mike Toich, Bill Summers. And Bill Summers' first wife died when he was uh, in, in, pastor of this church. And, and there was a ton of prayer went up for June and for Bill. But it, it pleased the Lord to call her to himself. And I went to, to visit Bill. I was a deacon in the church at the time. And I went to visit Bill. Um, and I asked him, you, you, it's, a, it's a question you ask, isn't it? But you'd think, I can't think of a better one, but how are you doing? 
the guy's wife has just died. There were childhood sweethearts in Newcastle. And the guy's wife and his kid's mum had died and gone home to be with the Lord. His, his uh, son let me in and, and then Bill came downstairs after a few minutes. and You see the, the agony etched on his face. And, and I said, I couldn't think of anything else to say, so I said, how are you doing? And he said, I'll never forget, shattered, but still trusting. And he quoted this verse to me. He quoted Isaiah 26, <coughs> 3. You will keep in perfect peace <coughs> those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. He said, I'm fighting to keep my mind steadfast and focused on him. And sometimes we do, do we not, have to fight for this perfect peace. And verse 12 tells us it's a peace that he has established for us. This is peace on God's terms. This is peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his finished work on the cross and him giving us faith to believe that he died in my place. He gives us his peace. It's the peace that he's established. And that word perfect peace is actually the Greek, the Hebrew word shalom, which is repeated twice. Shalom, shalom. In other words, God is going to keep you in this blood-bought, spirit-wrought, perfect peace but sometimes we have to fight for that through all the changing perplexing and oftentimes distressing and painful scenes of life let me just there there are hinted at here in verse 16 chapter 26 16 lord they came to you in distress when you disciplined them they could barely whisper a prayer as a pregnant woman gives about, about to give birth, writhes and cries out in pain, so we were in your presence, Lord. We were with child, we writhed in labor, but we gave birth to wind. There are times when, like Bill, we're shattered but still trusting. How are we to fight for this perfect peace? Who experiences God's perfect peace? He says, those whose minds are steadfast, those whose minds are stayed on you. Why are their minds stayed on you? Verse 3, because they trust you. So how do we keep our minds steadfast and stayed on him? By praising him. Verse 1, in that day this song will be sung. By walking with him, verse 8, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Sometimes that's all you can do. You just put one obedient foot in front of another. So don't, this doesn't feel so great. This feels awful. I don't get it. Don't like it. But I'm going to praise him. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to do what he says. Day in, day out, long-term obedience, one step at a time, just keep going. Whilst I wait, verse 8, whilst I'm waiting for him and longing, your name and renown are the desires of our heart. Be glorified, Father. I want your name above everything else to be glorified. That's the desire of my heart. 
Verse 9, my soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the earth will learn righteousness. Yearning and whispering. Verse, verse 16, sometimes we can barely whisper a prayer. All of these disciplines of the Christian life, which Isaiah summarizes for us here, they strengthen and deepen our trust in the Lord himself. Trust in the Lord forever. Why? For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. And we hide ourselves in him and take refuge in him every day until we rise from the dead after his wrath has come. And that's the final reason. You will raise us from death and shield us from your wrath. Verse 19. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. <coughs> the whole creation groans, longing for the children of God to be revealed. Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his, wrath, until his wrath has passed. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed upon it. The earth will conceal its slain no longer. But because we're hiding in, under the blood of Christ, we are shielded from the wrath. And he will raise us from the dead. And we'll live with him forever. No wonder Paul says, in this hope we were saved. So the marks of those who are trusting in the Lord is reasonable praise and radical peace. They are the marks of every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you singing the song of the redeemed? Are you trusting him? Let us pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we praise and thank you that we have every reason to praise you. We ask and pray, Lord, for those who are shattered and fighting to trust that your perfect peace would surround them and prepare us for what we are to go through individually and as a church through all the changing scenes of life in trouble and in joy Grant that by your spirit, purchased for us by Jesus on the cross, the praises of our God shall still our hearts and tongues employ. For Jesus' sake, amen. Unbroken praise as we can.